Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. News team, assemble! For the unofficial 40 from Soonerscoop.com. Featuring site publishers Carrie Murdoch and Josh McQuistian, along with videographer Eddie Radosovich. It's the unofficial 40 on Soonerscoop.com. All right, welcome back. It is the unofficial 40 here on Soonerscoop.com. I'm your host, Carrie Murdoch, along with uh, Josh McQuistian. And Edward Lawrence Radosevich, who is, uh, he's playing hurt today, folks. 0-3 right now, the Cubs. The third. Edward Lawrence Radosevich, the third. You got it. You got it now. So your dad is Edward Lawrence. The junior. And then my grandfather was. Edward Lawrence. Senior. Original. Yeah. The big show. Scary, That's a lot scary of. Scary as uh, it may be. Eddie, will there be, like, if you have one, is there going to be a fourth? I think I have to. I'm 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 uh, carrying the family name right now. That's such a that's such a frat bro, <laughs> Eddie the Fourth. Oh yeah, like he would be the king of the Fiji house, wouldn't he? Yeah, probably so. Well, Florin Chamberlain is willing. <laughs> Good Lauren, willing. Uh, no comment. <laughs> any progress in that area? No progress to report, but <laughs> head to the pavement, ear to the ground. <laughs> She's like rehabbing right now, isn't she? And she turned down like USA softball because she's got to rehab something. Uh, something like that, I think so. Yeah, I'm not that creepy. I don't keep up on the like, <laughs> day to day happenings. I only I do saw think, like a tweet or yeah, something. Yeah, I do think, I think so. Something like that, though. Uh, we have other unscheduled business to talk about because uh, Josh McQuistian went to see the uh, baby doctor yesterday, I believe, and I saw a picture of Laney. Holding uh, one of those newfangled 3D sonograms. Now, here's the question, Josh. Like, do you know the sex of the baby? Oh yeah, we're having another girl. Oh, you are okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. I thought that was I thought that was out there. Yes, we are. I don't know what what is and what isn't out there. To be honest with you. Yeah, yeah, it's it's fine. Um, and th- and that's what she wanted was a sister. That is. That's what she called. She really called it all along. At one point, she switched to a brother, but she was. She was on team sister for sure. And kind of like Eddie said, you know, McQuishan is not a common name. And I can assure you that my, unless my brother um, decides to get into the procreation um, ideal, the McQuishan line will end with Josh because there shall be no more McQuishans. So vasectomy coming. I am not going to commit to that sort of butchery, (laughs) but... There will be th- this line is closed. That that store is. I, I was I was perfectly content to keep it with Laney. So um, I've been uh, I've been told the vasectomy is not fun. It's yeah. basically like getting punched in the balls for a week. 
from what well, I've been told. We've talked about it, guys. You know, uh, I know you guys probably don't watch. I think it's a married show to watch. But Modern Family is a show I watched. And Phil Dunphy is a guy I respect a lot. And I watched him, you know, just shy away in fear. And I think I'm right there with Phil Dunphy. I have no interest in that procedure. Well, I was kind of hoping for like a some kind of like, you know, those announcements that they make with the pink and the blue. Mm-hmm. I don't know what a mm-hmm. Josh McQuistian announcement. You're not a golfer, are you? No, I'm a golfer. I don't. I certainly don't get to play as much as I used to, or we, hardly ever. You'd anymore. have to do one of those where you do the burnouts. Those are those are the where they put the <laughs> the car like some redneck gets in his Camaro and he just starts burning out, and eventually the tire dust turns to like pink or blue. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think no. I saw it with a Mustang one time. Like Tiffany, Mustangs, I... Mustangs. Is anybody else bothered by Mustangs? Like they've become like the new cheap fast car that every idiot drives now i think that's always been that way like i can remember going back into you know when i was in high school and the dude that had the 87 mustang that was you know one hundred and thirty thousand miles and he'd rev that thing like he had a you know like a gto boss or something like, four dude, barrel slow down. yeah exactly you're like dude that's a v6 what Calm happened down. was camaro quit making cars for a long they quit making the camaros so yeah. like they went out and the and the Firebirds d- disappeared. So like they went out of production and there were n- no other cheap muscle cars to buy except for Mustangs. So every every meth dealer has one of those now. I I and I have no interest in those. Like I'm an old sports car guy. Like I want something that weighs a ton and you know if it it gets seven it, miles to the gallon. Yes, yes. I mean, you guys have seen the truck. I am not afraid of a gas guzzler. <laughs> so another conversation that Eddie is completely glossed over on. No interest in in muscle cars whatsoever. There, are, I could be involved in a lot of conversations, and sometimes I just sit back. Cars, though. Have absolutely. You're not sitting around watching Meekum on the weekends. I can't think of something that would bore me more. That's like somebody that hates baseball watching baseball. To so me, Eddie fits. Eddie fits a theory I have. I have a belief that guys are either car guys or they're sports guys. Now they may dabble a little bit in one, but they're clearly leaning toward one or the other. Like you very rarely see the dude that. You know, like paints his face OU red, like under the hood of a car. Like that doesn't happen. And yeah. there's like, and then, and now you have like music guys. Yeah, the the closest car show I'll watch is uh, the show about the uh, dumbass people in Oklahoma City. Oh, uh, uh, the uh, racing show. Yeah. And the only reason I watch that is because it's based out of Oklahoma City. Yeah, I never watched the New Orleans one. No, I have no, I have no interest in watching Street them. Outlaws. Is yeah, what you're talking yeah, about. yeah, yeah, yeah. I've no out. No, I've never met any of those guys. I would love to meet Big Chief, or I, you know what, Farm Truck and Asian would love to meet those guys. I feel like I've seen the the Farm Truck before on Thirty uh, Ninth. It seems like they're up in North Oklahoma. I think some of them are in Midwest City, but the rest of them I, are like up in North. One of the Oklahoma guys, is, uh, like studio or garage body shop type thing, is yeah. It's like right bot right off of uh, what would that be? Western Penn Western no Western and like twenty third area like I've drove by it before and been like oh that that's, that's that the street outlaw place yeah. but yeah I Maybe I have murder murder Nova's place I have no interest in cars uh, but I I will say most people that I've known that have Mustangs that I even knew in high school most of them pretty douchey 
So we cross yet another thing off the list. Uh, Eddie, not a foodie, not into music. You know, I was thinking about cars. this too. I was thinking about this on the way home uh, last week. I, I, I don't say I'm a foodie, but I like food. Obviously, <laughs> you like In and Out and Shake Shack and I mean, I, I, like, I like nice restaurants. Yeah, we've been to some. I had the best chicken piccata of my life at OU Texas weekend. That's what you said. You're, it was outstanding. You're, you're very excited about it. It was very good. I'm going to go back again. It uh, amazes me that you've had enough chicken piccata to have, like, I've got a hierarchy on this, and this was number one. <laughs> I like chicken piccata. <laughs> I like capers. I'm, I like butter. Oh, I love capers. Mm-hmm. That's chicken piccata right there. No, no. I'm, I'm like, I like it. I just couldn't ever wine think of, sauce, like, oh, that I think. was the best one I ever had. I think it's white wine, butter, capers, and then chicken. Chicken breast. So, anyway. Uh, OU football, they get a win at Texas. The defense does what everybody wanted the defense to do, which is do a bunch of crap, put a bunch of people in. They start Devontae Lampkin. Kenneth Mann plays a ton. DJ Ward has a game. And we talked about it all week, guys. Like, defensive line, yes, they look great, but, boy, that Texas offensive line kind of sucks. They were they have some challenges, I guess, would be the best way to say it. And they cheated quite a bit during the game to uh, to even get where they were. So. Are we finally over the holding whining? I, I think you should have been like on Monday. But. I just didn't understand. I don't understand. I mean, I, I guess I do. This is one of those things, Josh, probably where he's lost the ability to see things but the fans see. But it's just <laughs> like, what good does it do? I'm just one of those. I'm one of those personalities like I move on to something that I can control. Like that's just always kind of how I've been. Like, if and something that's, happens that's shitty and I can't control the 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 result, I just move on to something I can control. It, I'll say this. I'm, I'm glad that they won. Because if they would have lost... Oh, no, then that, I could understand all the bitching about the officiating. But they won the game. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. That makes, that makes That's when you're like, okay, this was awful, move forward. But, I mean, guys, and people were talking about the idiot. Like, I, I never bring up officiating because that stuff, it... No matter how much people want to think it doesn't, it usually evens out over the course of a game. One shitty call here, one shitty call on the other side, everybody's okay. You know, it's going to be fine. Uh, you know, there's rare situations like the Oregon game or Texas Tech. Yes. You know, the later that's – those are horrific calls that affected the outcome of a game. And those are things that Bob Stoops continued to bitch about for years and years after sure. they were over with because sure. they were so egregious. And As a guy who went through it, I mean, like, it was irritating for me to watch it. I'm not a fan. I don't have any vested interest. And I was like, that's awful. But I can't even imagine for a guy that really put all his work into it. And, you know, both of those should have been wins for Oklahoma. So, but, guys, I mean, I think kind of the perfect way to present it is I don't know who had more tackles, an Oklahoma defensive line that played really well or a Texas offensive line that played really poorly. Like, that's how bad it was. It was awful. But you, you won. Like, just move forward. I hope it's better next week. Mike, I think it had to be fatigue because it wasn't nearly as bad in the first half. And then Texas guys looked like they just stopped moving their feet. Like, they were just grabbing anything they could get their hands on. And I guess the last question I have, how many sacks does Oboe have if that's not happening? Oh, yeah. I, he had Ellinger dead to rights three or four times, and somebody kind of spun him off balance by just grabbing him from behind. Yeah, I mean, look, that stuff, it looks terrible. But I saw a lot of it, and I was like, okay, 
I can see how that you know goes. But the things that I thought were horrible, like the the call against Orlando Brown where he just falls down, and Dimitri Flowers gets a touchdown taken away. Like I thought that was a stupid call. Yet you talk to Orlando Brown this week, Eddie. You talk to Lincoln Riley. They're like, yeah, that was a, that was a fair call. Yeah, I, I think that there was a lot of things that you know, even that that thread that the guy. Uh posted on Twitter and I think somebody posted it on the board even about like every play that that they felt was missed. I there were a lot that were missed, but there weren't as many as you think. I don't I don't believe. And I have I've I've gone back and watched a little bit of the game. I haven't gone back and watched all of it, but I I do think that uh you know, bitching about the penalties and stuff like that almost kind of outweighs uh the performance that Oboe had. Looking at him coming off the field was that was his that was uniform was awesome. just a different color. Yeah, it was like a it was a different it color than everybody. Through every fiber that was in that his was uniform. Quite the when you think like reversely from the from the performance that he put out there against Iowa State and the penalty inside the inside the five yard line uh, compared to that, it was uh, you know that's more of what you want to see. And I think that moving forward, I I kind of felt like Kerry walking out of uh, post practice on Tuesday was just the fact that. They finally had a performance that they feel like they can build off of. And even though Texas, I think, is they, they have some problems, obviously, offensively. Uh, it's something that, you know, I, I think a good majority of those guys can build confidence of. And uh, the defensive line rotation was really, really good. So. Let's let's play some of uh, our conversation with Mike Stoops after practice yesterday. Once again, that Josh cannot hear. Uh, we'll remedy that one of these days. Uh, here's uh, me talking with Mike Stoops just about the game plan for Texas. Lincoln had talked yesterday about how, you know, he, he knew kind of what your plan was. He was excited to see it kind of put in the action. Can you talk about just kind of what you were hoping to get and, and what you eventually got out of, of some of the changes you made? Well, we, we just, like you know, we wanted to throw something different at them. Uh, you know, how much it, you know, they won't say we don't, it doesn't really bother me. We, we disrupted the, the whole first half and what we did. Uh, and constantly, you know, we're able to get pressure on the quarterback. So that's what we wanted to be able to do in this game and disrupt the timing, you know, of what they were able to do. And we were still able to control the run game. And that, that was, you know, those are positive, you know, parts of, of the game. And, um, you know, we just uh, tried to, 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 to use something different that we hadn't done. Um, but, you know, they did, you know, they did some things differently too. So that's just, you know, constantly uh, – a chess match, uh, you know, week in and week out, trying to, you know, build your defense, you know, uh, around what you think you're going to see. Okay, there's there's a few things I want to mention here, uh, just about the defense in general. And, you know, I was, like, driving back from practice yesterday, and I literally heard a guy call into Al Ashback's show to ask, Al, why don't we run a scheme that creates more turnovers? Like you don't think that every coach in the country, if there was a scheme, Somebody should tell Mike Stoops run? to run that. Yeah, why doesn't he run that? <laughs> How stupid is he? Like that to me—that's like calling in and saying, "Why don't they try and score touchdowns?" <laughs> it like, really is. Get out of here! I love Al's callers. Like at seven o'clock at night, because most of them are half drunk, half drunk, or just so far out of it that they're probably also calling another. TV station to see if the OU game's on TV this week. Look, here here's my point. You have a defense, you have a lot of moving parts, and you're, you've lost Matt Romar, basically, for almost the entire... I mean, Matt Romar, how many quarters has he even played? Jeez. I'd... Five? 
Not at very most. many. And it's kind of weird. I'll, I'll just add on that, Kerry, that I saw him before the game. He's been to every game. He still travels. Yeah. He's, he's out there, active like, with the active, team, yeah. Pract- like, helping coach He's not almost. doing a Charles Walker. Yeah, no. He, I mean, he's he's definitely, if he can't be out there, he's he's absolutely helping him. Yeah, and he is, I mean, I, I was watching through the binoculars, just scanning the field. I, yeah. And, like, he's in the huddle with them as yeah. they're doing their pregame warm-ups and stuff and talking to him and, and, and giving him pointers. And he's helping young guys like Devontae Lampkin. And he stayed out there during the pregame and was working like hand placement and stuff with yeah. uh, Neville Gallimore. So. But you've lost Matt Romar. Now you've had Devontae Lampkin. People forget this. He's been suspended twice this season. Like it's been a really slow start for Devontae Lampkin. And I, I would say if Ruffin McNeil is not here, maybe he's got himself kicked off the team by now. Because it just seems like he does a lot of stupid stuff. But now you're finally getting some production out of him. You figure out, okay, Kenneth Mann is a really good interior pass rusher. Let's put him on the field in third down situations. That was a really nice move. You got Amani Bledsoe back now. My point being, like, we all act like last year from the from the from the get go, like the offensive line was some gelled force that just took over college football. No, remember. Uh, Cody Ford went down in that Ohio State game. It was that TCU game, the fifth game of the season, when they really started running the ball using Samaj P. Ryan to where that offensive line started getting an identity and started coming along. We're six games through here, and now you've got Devontae Lampkin becoming a bigger part of it. Uh, you're figuring out some things with Kenneth Murray. DJ Ward had his best game. You know you're going to get something out of Oboe. Now I think you're starting to find a basis where this defense can grow from, kind of like the offensive line was a year ago. No, oh, I, I I was very impressed. And like you said, I thought the man uh, putting him in th- uh, over nose on third down, and it wasn't just that they put him there. They were doing some stuff with him. He stunted a little bit. They, they were you know not just trying to, okay, hey, Kenneth, go run over this guy that's 40 pounds bigger than you. Like it, It's something that he's not going to win very often. Um, I, I thought they were creative. I thought they did a lot of stuff. They brought a couple of safety blitzes. Uh, Parnell Motley almost got there on Sam Ellinger one time on a corner blitz uh, from the field, yeah. which was kind of an interesting um, little twist. Wrinkle, so yeah. I, I, I liked what Oklahoma did. I, I thought it was good. And I think, you know, I was thinking about this. You start looking – I mean, I, you don't want to get crazy, but with that group, you start looking into the future a little bit. And that 2018 defense, there's some reason to think that could be a pretty good group. I mean, that de- almost that whole defensive line is going to be back. You've got your linebackering core, with the exception of Manuel Beal, which I think you move maybe Caleb Kelly there or move Murray. You know, like you do something with those two to make that work. So I, I like where the defense is heading if that's what you're going to get. Now, I, again, we've seen this where Oklahoma will have this blip like they did against Ohio State. And I don't want to totally change the tune, but it, I mean, it, it's a step in the right direction. But you've seen it as much with the offense, too. They've been inconsistent. But but what I'm saying is at least you have something to build on defensively. That I mean, They played really well at Ohio State, but was that really you know just the fact that they played a team that couldn't pass it? I mean, they're really good against the run. Even, even without Mann and Devontae Lampkin and uh, Amani Bledsoe, because of their linebackers and you know bigger defensive linemen like DJ Ward's big. I mean, he's just a big guy for his position. They've been able to to be successful against the run. That hasn't been a problem for this team. 
Oh, I agree. And that's what, to me, has been the weirdest part about because you go back and look through OU's best defenses, especially the early Mike Stoops era, if they could stop the run, they were almost unbeatable. I mean, if, if he could make you one-dimensional, he was going to win. But and you also had you also had year. Austin English and Dan Cody sure. and Larry Burdine. You had serious Ed, Jimmy Wilkerson. You had si- serious edge rushers. That's true on those That's, teams. I, you don't have that except for Oboe on this team. Well, you know, and again, I think some of that feeds into well, yeah, if Oboe's your only rusher, and then you're running three, four defensive linemen up there trying to get pressure with just those four, you're. I mean, that, that's or not even a add, recipe for success. Even add Dusty Dvorak in there. I mean, he's a guy yeah. that could get a pass rush from a defensive tackle position. Well, I said it in the idiot, Kerry. I thought you made a great point that I don't think I fully really processed when we were talking about it during the drunken podcast. Because we were drunk and we shouldn't have but been trusted. But you were talking about how they didn't get any pressure up the middle, and then with Mann doing his stuff on third down, Devonta Lampkin pushing the pocket on first and second, I... I I mean, I don't want to say Oklahoma remedied it, but it was definitely a, like I said, a step in the right direction to showing, okay, we see that as a problem. Let's see what we can do about it. I, you know, the after the the Iowa State game, and Lincoln Riley, Eddie, has made a lot of references to this. People got so up in arms about schemes and uh, Mike Stoops and the past, and I mean, like, I got an argument this morning with one of my co-host on radio who's still bringing up 2014 Baylor and throwing that back in Mike Stoops face like it's that whole thing I always talk about like a a a bad marriage where you know someone you know the wife says why didn't you do the dishes and the husband turns around and says well you slept with my brother like it's just really bad at arguing yeah it, it it's it's always going to be a crutch for people that I think there's so many people out there that just want Mike gone they don't want and and it'll be it'll be the same thing with the next guy though it'll be I mean there it will never be good enough for some people and I Lincoln I, was already asked if he thought about making coaching staff changes this year yeah that went like, over, that happened went over well like I understand the fans and, and like I said there was a guy in the overflow section where we went down at the end of the game to to go into the press conferences he had a he got up. And he was wearing a plant the flag shirt. He turned around and on the back of it, in like iron on letters, it said "Fire Mike." Jesus Christ! <laughs> I mean, that's that's just. In, I pointed this out too. This is this is the same, and this is not like a blast against OU fans. I'm not saying you're idiots, but you guys ran Brent Venables out of town, and we're happy to that's do what it. I'm saying. And it's Mike Stoops be- was was welcomed in as the, as the savior. I mean, clearly, I, I was not happy with Mike Stoops after the Iowa State game, but give him some credit for what they did put together against Texas. With that said, though, there are a lot of tests coming up that oh yeah, it's going to be extremely hard. Like I, I truly feel like Mason Rudolph is going to tear the secondary up. But I was fixing to say let's let's tap the brakes a little bit on everybody being crazy, right? Uh, I mean, you're coming off two horrid performances, and you put it together. Well, what, here's what I'm saying, though, and it's it, going back to you know, everybody being upset about the schemes and this and that. And Lincoln said this: that tackling was awful at at Iowa State, and the effort it was awful. The effort was bad, but it's like once they start playing hard and actually tackling people, it's really it's really 
you look kind of you look differently at the defense. Like, okay, so they're trying different personnel. It's not really about the schemes, but they're playing harder. You know, Oboe's out there about to die at the end of the game. Exhaustion, all that stuff. They don't look that it doesn't look like a mess defensively. It they did what they like the things they you you don't have you shouldn't have to ask a college football team to do and that was just yeah. pleasing to see. But again, I I think that starts at the top. And, uh, and when you don't exactly. have the guy when you don't have the guy that's been there for 18 years that people are legitimately scared to let down. Yeah. I can see how that stuff happens. But it all gets thrown on Mike. Well, there's no doubt. I mean, because we all know how this happens. There is well, a hierarchy of blame that gets focused in one it, one time it was Bobby Jack Wright, then it became Brent Venables, like then it became Mike Stoops. And like Lincoln Riley's avoid any and all criticism since he's been he's got to be like the the most the luckiest coach that's a coordinator that's ever been at Oklahoma. And then he was named head coach. Yeah. <laughs> and he got to do all that with Baker Mayfield. As My only issue is that every year we come back to this, well, that game they didn't give any effort. That game they didn't tackle well. At what point is that not always the players? Like, are you getting them ready to play? Are they mentally right? Why is there always that horrific two or three games a year where the guys weren't mentally prepped, didn't do what they needed to do, and didn't look ready to play a football game. Yet we saw we we saw that Washington State over the weekend, Clemson. Sure, I mean it, it's not just it's not unique to Oklahoma. This is something that happens everywhere around the country. I think it's more just the the seven years in a row losing to teams as double digit favorites. I mean, I'm sure it probably happens a lot of places, but. There's been some. I I think it's kind of a product of two things. It it's kind of inexplicable. And then the other thing is is Vegas has loved OU for a very very long time. And there's a lot of times well, we say it all the time. Vegas is. It's not about who's going to win the game. It's about how are we going to get people to right, bet on this right, game. Right. And uh, they. So you have kind to of make been a victim of that. you have to make OU a big favorite in order to get people interested in putting money on the line. Yeah, that's true. It's true. If if Vegas was honest and they knew that you know everything was going to be a every every mismatch was going to be an upset, they're not going to make a living by by making Oklahoma a, a minus two favorite. Yeah. And they or even nine. I mean, it's just that double digit thing. I think yeah. that fans get hung up on. I uh, to me Vegas lines have nothing to do with. With what happens on the field, no, I don't. I don't think it I'm has not to do with what happens at the sports bank places at the well, sports books. That's what I'm saying. That's kind of what I'm saying, though, is people get hung up on the numbers so much that I think it kind of, in a way, maybe discredits what the other team is doing. Does that make sense? But nobody saw Iowa State coming. No, and it no, shouldn't no, no, have no. happened. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that. But like the Notre Dame game in 2012. I think OU was given like 12 and a half. And I think just people get caught up in, in remembering, oh, they they were a 12-point favorite more so than Notre Dame was pretty damn good, and they ended up going to the national title game. Going to the national game. title game, yeah. Behind Lene I mean, Kukua. does that make sense, Josh? It does. I mean, like I said, I guys, this is not – everybody always wants to make it one thing. 
Like, oh, it's it's the players and got to tackle and the coaches, the schemes bad. Like when it, something goes wrong, like Iowa State or you know any of the other games in the past when Oklahoma just or you know anybody Clemson losing to Syracuse, whatever. It's a bunch of things that feed into why you lose. I mean, because sure. oh, Oklahoma's offense is clicking. If Oklahoma's offense is rolling like they can against Iowa State, Iowa State could play like that all day and they'd still lose by twenty. Like I, I mean, Oklahoma's just that good offensively. So I, there are other reasons for sure, but it. I mean, to me, it all comes down to there. There is a persistent issue. Like when you continue to say, "Well, this is, you know, this is the problem. This is where it is." Well. If that thing continues to change, then there's something else amiss. Like if it's if every time that OU loses a game or plays poorly defensively, well, we didn't execute and we didn't leverage and we didn't do all this. Well, the players have changed every year. Like it's not the same group. It's the same stuff we heard forever. At some point, it's not the new players that change out every year. And if it is, that's still an issue that has to do with the coaching. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but I still I don't agree with what you're saying at all. I'm just going to say be, <laughs> because okay. because there's a reason that coaches don't want players to read, you know, the paper or to be on sure. Twitter because they don't want their heads getting filled with the fact that they're not as, you know, that they're better than they actually are. I mean, it's just like Saban coming out with that rat poison stuff. I mean, that's the that was always Bob's biggest fear. That's that's Nick Saban's biggest fear is that players think they're better than they are because kids are just that way. It's like after the Texas game, I saw it happen all over the place. Uh, you know, Players retweeting or liking things that we put up about them. Like when Eddie puts up a video of, you know, I, I can't even remember. I don't want to say somebody that's not doing it. But like I guarantee you, if Justin Broyles gets an interception in a game and Eddie puts that video up on Twitter... Justin Broyles is retweeting that stuff. I think any kid would, though. It's 2017. Like, But that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying don't go on Twitter. I'm just saying that's what every coach has to fight. Right. It's just a, ma- it's just a fact of life. But like you said, every staff has to deal with that. And the only one that seems to deal with it the best is Alabama. They're, they have better players. And they have the, way better and- players than everybody. And that's where it's at. Guys, I, I was looking at – somebody asked me a question during chat last night, and I, it kind of got me on the side, so I went and looked. Did you know that as of this upcoming draft, unless Oboe kind of shocks us and sneaks into the first round, I think he's a third-round, fourth-round kind of guy. If he sneaks into the first round, it will change this stat. But otherwise, Oklahoma will have one first-round defensive draft pick in 15 drafts. And just so happens to be the best defensive tackle, not only in the league but maybe one of you know the top ten probably. But uh, you could also you could also say, you know, Jamel Fleming, Tony Jefferson. I mean, at, at one point, at what point do you also say the reputation of the Big Twelve hurts kids in the sure. draft? Sure, and that's fair, and that's fair. And I so I, I kind of looked at it a little further, and then I said, okay, let's go top three rounds because those are quality college football players maybe second like kind of like oboe third round guy maybe not quite as tall Which as they gerald mccoy is the only guy that that i could come to mind that's been drafted right yep that, and gerald's the guy i'm talking about he's the one first rounder so you've got all of that and oklahoma has had six first through third rounders in the last 10 years 
That's less than Oregon. Washington has had 11 in the last three years. So you don't, like, people will immediately go, well, Oklahoma didn't produce a lot of talent. They have to go out of state. Washington is not producing the same amount of talent as the state of Oklahoma. So I I get it. I, I don't think... There is a ton of elite talent on this defense. I, I get that. I think that's been an issue for several years. But again, that, I mean, it, it's it's surmountable. It just hasn't been surmounted. <laughs> yeah. Profound. That sentence just happened. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, my head is, is kind of rattling trying to figure. I mean, A&M obviously has put in a ton of defensive guys recently. Sure. I would think Ohio State's probably up there. Texas is not. Pretty high. Nope. But I'm just I, I thinking mean, in this area. I mean. No, no. And I was trying to go with schools. Like I said, that I know Oklahoma has challenges in recruiting. Like, there's no question. But Oregon and Washington are not hotbeds of recruiting talent. And and they're put, they're finding a way to put defensive guys in the NFL. Now, you're, now you bring up a great point. You redraft Tony Jefferson's at least a second-round pick right now. I mean, at least maybe he's a first rounder. So I mean, there are, there are some obscurities in there that that can change things. And maybe some of those third rounders from Washington weren't any good, and some of the guys that went in the fifth round, like you know, whatever. But I, I just, like I said, I don't want everybody to. Well, it's it's all fixed now because we all kind of bought in after Ohio State, and we saw how that went. Oh, I I, I am in no way saying that. Anything is fixed. They, I'm not either, but they I'm have just a saying, long way to go. I'm just saying, look, you can you can be upset at the defense. You can criticize the defense, but this whole th- mindset where it's just piling one year's mistakes on top sure. of another, on top of another, and that's where we are. And the fact that that Lincoln Riley is asked if he's going to make coaching changes after five games, which is crazy, and then an article is written about it. I didn't. I haven't. I don't have anything against Jenny. I just haven't read read, read the article. I, I don't think there's any doubt that. Uh, and Mike Stoops was pissed after the he's game. Not happy about it. Yeah. And and know. here's the well. And here's the thing too. The players are starting to get pissed off at the fans because of all the criticism of Mike that they feel like it's unfair. In a really screwed up way. It's like it's like a civil war is brewing. Well, in a in a really screwed up way, I say good. I think let him. I Let them rage. They obviously played better. If they think it's their fault too, which I, uh, to their you know to Mike's credit, that's what the players keep saying. You know, we're not doing the things we need to do. I mean, they're right there towing the company line, and that's fine. It, but like, if that's the case, then what are they complaining about? It's it's on you. You did it. Fix it. Uh, you called for it, so I will play it. Uh, I talked to. Oboe yesterday, just off to the side, and he went on a. I asked him about the criticism that Mike is getting, and then I was asking him about you know the changes in Texas and how it worked, and he wanted to go. He wanted nothing to do with that answer, but he wanted to talk about the criticism of Mike. Josh, you'll hear this, I guess, after the podcast when you listen to it back. I'm sorry, but uh, here's here's uh, Oboe Coronquo. I, I look at this week and and the plan that all your coaches put together and playing so many different guys. I mean, starting Devontae, putting Kenneth Mann in there more. I mean, 
as a football player, did you guys get excited knowing that, you know, they were working really hard to change things up for you guys as defense? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I was glad that they were uh, just trying different guys in there. Not because I didn't feel like the guys were getting the job done, just because it just raises the level of competition, you know. And, and like, when, when you raise the level of competition, that's going to breed, like, higher level play, you know. So I, I was happy about that. And but but like back to like like Mike's uh, criticism like that that stuff is just that's just stupid like all that stuff people don't know what's going on with us like they don't like they don't know they don't know Mike you know mm -hmm. you, they don't know how much he loves it. he really loves this game and how much he loves us so like when I hear that I'm just like that's that's, that's absurd. It seems like a guy that you know as a player you know he kind of wears his emotions on his sleeve. Is that? Does that kind of make it even harder sometimes? I mean, he loves yeah, he loves the game, you know. Yeah, Mike loves the game, and and he he loves coaching players who love the game, you know. He's an emo he's an emotional dude. He's he puts he puts a lot of himself into this. So so like I'm I'm like I, I take it I take it as personal as he does, honestly. All right, I appreciate it. Thank you. And I appreciate Eric Bailey your cell phone. I know you're a podcast <laughs> listener. It's ruining my interview. Eric Bailey has the weird i like i i've i know that ringtone that's that's that ringtone you have on your phone and it rings a couple of times she's like that's a stupid ringtone i don't want that i think it's just the uh it's just the like the stock ringtone i think it, like yeah just yeah. originally comes on the phone yeah. uh but even before that josh and and oboe's basically talking about people don't know what they're talking about they don't know what's going on inside this team uh, we're, and Mike is, I've said this many times, I hate the fact that he gets ripped so much because he is so honest. Like, he's the most honest of all the coaches in telling you what's going on with his team, uh, but he gets so mad. Like, he does not do well with criticism because, I would say, because he cares too much. He doesn't. He doesn't know how to let anything roll off his back. Right. He just takes everything so personal. Oh, yeah. Every so attack. personal. Which I, you know, I I understand. I mean, it kind of shows that he's human, I guess. In, and in it also way. shows you that he cares about his job. I mean, no, and I think that's the thing that that really sets him off and pisses him off is when people will just act like you know, a he can't coach defense, and then b he's not trying. He's not trying. Like yeah. he's just they're collecting a paycheck, which couldn't be further from the truth. I would say out of all the coaches on that staff, he is he's the most intense. Oh yeah. And, uh, and, and the, I'd say Beatembo's up there pretty high. Yeah, but I think he's intense. But I think Mike is just so intense. He he doesn't he doesn't have a gear where he can just let it go. Yeah, Beatembo definitely. I I guess he doesn't get a whole lot of criticism these days. But I he I could see him. Nobody on offense easier. is getting any criticism. Which I mean I guess might be something that we could talk about here in a minute. Second halves have not been good in recent weeks. Seven points against Iowa State. When I mean, they have they, 24 at halftime. They answered when they needed to this weekend. But six points in the second half against Texas. There were, well, they got more than six. Well, was yeah, it no, they didn't. 10 at halftime? Yeah, they, they didn't because I I was thinking the touchdown, which obviously they didn't get the two-point conversion. Yeah, that came at the, toward they the end nine. of the game. They got nine. Yeah, yeah they nine, okay. kicked a field goal there when the Dimitri yep. Flowers got wiped away. Oh, okay, and, yeah. So, I, I mean. No, but, I, I think there's some fair criticism of the offense, guys. I, I thought. It was, it was one of it was kind of like we'd seen Oklahoma fall in that trap before, where they went away from the run game that seemed to be working. I thought like they kind of wanted to prove they could throw the ball. 
when early they were really mixing it up really well. I, I you know, again, it's a little thing. I, the offense wasn't perfect, but the offense was pretty good. I think they were, and the offense was facing what I think is a, a pretty good defense, maybe one of the better ones they'll face all year. Well, Josh, you you talked about you know the players having to be responsible for not you know getting up and this and that. And I kind of argue more towards top down is is responsible uh, because it is just such a time where kids get their heads full of other things besides just focusing on being great. And I think I think you see that also with penalties because this team gets so many bad penalties and like real like personal foul, late hit, unsportsmanlike. I mean Baker Mayfield. John with a guy getting a 15-yard penalty. Like, I looked this up after the game. Oklahoma averages six penalties a game, which is like halfway. It's, a, it's better than average in terms of, you know, most teams get a little more than six penalties a game. But the problem is OU's penalties average almost 11 yards per, which means... They're they're fifteen yarders for the most part. They average the penalty or not average, but the penalties they have are at critical critical junctures, and we're, keep drives alive, keep drives alive, or put uh, themselves in horrible positions on offense. I mean, the a perfect example is just the the drive that Texas scored on right before to get on their first touchdown of the game. Chance was, Sylvie hitting the guy out of bounds on which, the kickoff return. Mm, you know, meh. I I don't know. I guess you have to call it, but I I've seen plays get away players get away with something like that. And then the, uh, what was it, the pass interference? Or, I mean, uh, Motley had the pass the, interference. No, it was uh, the, tar- not targeting, but uh, horse Late collar. Hit. Horse oh, the collar. horse collar on Bill, yeah. Horse collar, and then they had something else, I think, on well, that Well, Devontae drive. Lampkin, toward the end of the game, it didn't matter, but he should not even, even have been 10 feet yeah, within Sam Ellinger. Yeah. Which, even Lincoln Riley gave a little Said little was Academy to, Award winner. Yeah, Elinger. Worthy. Well, and, uh, Kerry, I want to say you were talking about me saying that it was – I don't think – I think it does come from the top down. But if okay. the players are going to get mad at the fans, well, if it's your fault, then fix it. Like, Well, to be you're, fair, you're Obo did say – backing up your opinion. To be fair, I didn't play the part where Obo did say it's on us. It's the players. We're the ones okay. that have to – you know, he, he said the schemes are fine. He said, but us as players, we're not executing them at times, and that's on us. What, okay, I'll ask you guys. I kind of have my opinion on it, but I'd like to hear what you think. What do you think about when, when players are saying things like, oh, the scheme's good, the scheme's fine, blah, blah, blah. Don't get me wrong. They know more about that scheme than anybody in this podcast, probably anybody not in that locker room. I, I, I'm not arguing that at all. But when it's the only scheme you've ever known, what else are you going to say? That, I, I think that there's something to that, Josh, but I also think that just with the way that they he threw out Mike Stoops threw out a new game plan, had sure. them doing different things. I think that gets him more excited than just trying to go back and just do the same shit over and over and over. Here, answer me this question: Who's the last defensive coordinator in the Big Twelve Conference that was wanted by another team nationally? <laughs> oh man, let's see. Oh God, you know who it have to be? You know, literally, who would have to be Mike Stoops, Brent and Mike? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, like you come to the Big Twelve to get fired as a defensive coordinator. It's a it's a graveyard. 
it, that's a, but it gets into that chicken or the egg thing. Like, really, there's no nobody in the SEC can do what the Big 12 Brent offenses Venables do. Brent Venables is one of the best defensive coordinators in the country. He got ran out of town. I'm not arguing that. I'm not at all. But I'm saying, why why is it that no no other offensive minds in the country can emulate the the Big 12? Because they don't have the quarterbacks. That's what it comes The Big 12 has been better than every league, it, and I'm not talking pro, but college quarterbacks, they've had better quarterbacks than anybody else. The only one that's close is the Pac-12. Why is that? Are, are they are they just that bad? You're the recruiting guru. Why are you asking us? No, I, guys, look, I mean, you're talking, look at the talent. It, there's been plenty of elite quarterbacks come from other conferences. But you have to admit, I mean, like Dana Holgerson, Mike Gundy, uh, Oklahoma, several different people. Kevin Wilson, now Lincoln Riley. Uh, Sonny Cumbie's doing a great job with Kenny Hill down at TCU now. Like, this has been, it, it, it's not just about recruits or talent. This has been a league, and it's, probably, and it's the Mike Leach, you know, still. I mean, look what Mike Leach is doing with Luke Falk. I mean, uh, this is still a league that develops its quarterbacks better than any other league. Not just the talent, but... The track record of these these coaches in this league is almost beyond reproach. Well, if you're going to say this is where defensive coordinators come to die, is it where offensive coordinators come to thrive? Absolutely. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's a chicken or the egg thing. Like, I do I think that all the defensive coordinators in the league are garbage? No, of course not. I think there's plenty of good minds doing the job. And I get yeah, that but there people, are a lot of great offenses in the league. People are sick but, of, of Glenn Spencer at Oklahoma State, and I'd say he's been one of the best defensive coordinators this conference has seen in a long time. Consistently puts out a pretty good pro- – and he knows what he is. That's what I like about that defense. They they know they're not going to – they're not going to out-talent anybody. They're, they're just going to go out there and try to create enough turnovers to keep getting the ball to whoever their quarterback is and let them go score points. I mean, they cut down 7 nothing to Baylor and then just blew them out of the water. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I just, I just, I kept, I kept thinking about that the other day. Like, you're going to have to get a young guy to come in here that's wet beyond, behind the ears Unless you're just going to throw $2 million somebody's direction. I. That's why I think almost, and I don't know, I'm, I'm just trying to think of guys that, that's why you have to go after a young guy that just doesn't give a shit about getting burnt and just will attack, attack, attack. Is, I mean, I mean like is that if, wrong? If Manny Diaz was out of a job or something, I'm sure he'd take the OU defensive coordinator position. Right. And the problem with that, the guy you're talking about, Kerry, like the $2 million guy, well, I love the dude at LSU. Aranda's a, a great one. But Aranda's going to be a head coach for the next two years. So, yeah. okay, you bring him in, and then you just got to start all over again anyway. And, I mean, Clemson's playing, paying Brent $1.5 million. Yeah. Ugh. But, I mean, the I mean, ACC and- is nowhere close to the Big 12 or the Pac-12 in terms of quarterback talent. I guess the, the thing that I've never understood is if, like, the Big 12 offense is so... I guess unstoppable. Why has the SEC never? Why has there never been a school in the SEC that's just like almost I mean, sold their soul? Ole Miss and has tried beaten to. Alabama twice, right? And they're the they're they're cheating their I ass say, off. I guess. Well, yeah, that too. 
but they're still one of the schools that's really tried to take that style and it's worked for I mean it's it's turned them into they but they've pretty much played one game Super Bowls for every year against Alabama like that's their biggest game yeah. and they end up going seven and four but that's eight who they are I mean they're they're a, a, a notch below they're like Oklahoma State was before Brandon Wheaton. I just, I mean, part of the problem, Josh, is everybody keeps trying to hire Saban assistants. There's some truth in that. There, I mean, there, and I guess in Georgia's case, it looks like it's going to work. Florida's pretty pissed off. They went the direction they went instead yeah. of that. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think you're right, and I think that probably also feeds to the Big 12 for the same reasons. Everybody's kind of going with guys off the Mike Leach tree or some variation of it, you know, those kind of things. So you're right. It's not but you've like seen, I said. I mean, when, when people have had it, it's when, when, when Texas A&M had Johnny Manziel, it was working. When Ole Miss had Chad Kelly or Bo Wallace or whoever, it worked a little bit. But nobody's ever truly... Like, someone's been committed to it, but he just hasn't had the quarterbacks. Or when he's had the quarterbacks, he's, they've left. Do you think some of it, I, I, this is just kind of me talking out loud here, do you think some of it is almost a situation where the king of the mountain kind of does it this way, so we have to worry about how to deal with them before we can say, okay, we're going to impose our style on you. You know, like... Derek Mason going to Vanderbilt. It's like, we're going to run 3-4, and we're going to run kind of a power offense and that kind of thing. Vanderbilt's never going to have the personnel to match up with Alabama. So why wouldn't they sell out to go that way yeah. to try and throw something to Alabama? But at the same time, I guess I get it because, you know, okay, we're going to have this light defense that's made, you know, like you're going to have almost a mismatched unit where you've got a defense built to play run and do a lot of the physical stuff you have to do in the SEC – but our offense is going to spread you out and play wide, and how does that work in practice every day? I mean, there's got to be some of that as far as – now, Oklahoma is the king of the mountain in the Big 12, so you can play on that level, and you can play that way with them and still feel like you can compete week in and week out. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, Baylor did kind of their own thing, but it was still a, an offense that really spread you out and challenged you to defend the entire field. They just were a little bit more run-heavy, whereas Tech has always kind of been what Tech is, which they just spread you out and yeah. try and distribute the football. Oklahoma, because of Bob Stoops, you know, even, I mean, that's the most bizarre thing, is like Lincoln Riley has adopted Bob Stoops' philosophy offensively, even though that really wasn't his before he got here. But because... He has more talent. Like Mike, like Mike Leach has never been in a place long enough to have the talent that he consistently could have had at Oklahoma. Lincoln Riley got here. What the smartest thing he did was, okay, well, I've got fullbacks and tight ends. I can do other stuff in the run game. I've got big running backs. Like, that's let's let me take advantage of it. And he figured out how to do it with that instead of just being, oh, I run the air raid. That's all mm -hmm. I do. We're not going to do this stuff. And credit to him, they've gone out and it appears to have gotten kind of a replica of Samaj P. Ryan. Did Trey Sermon, yeah. I mean, they've really bought into that. And just judging off the TJ Pledger highlights that Rivals put out today, they got another one coming in. But, like, Dana Holgerson, I mean, he's he's morphed and changed over the years. He's had to. 
because he doesn't have well, he's had some NFL receivers, but he does I mean, he's had Tavon Austin, he's had uh White. Probably has the best I mean he's had as good as anybody else. Yeah. But he he runs the ball a lot. Yeah. But I think I think like Lincoln and Dana realized that you have to be able to control the clocks in the game and time of possession a little bit. Whereas Mike Leach is never going to care about that. He just wants to score. Yeah. So and I mean that's probably why it's morphed a Mike little Leach bit. Mike Leach has never won a conference championship. Yeah, I mean it's morphed a little bit, but at the same time Georgia Tech ain't winning no championships with their stuff. It's just too much of an extreme. Yeah, it's you got to find something somewhere in the middle between both of those styles. And I mean, Alabama's offense has been horrendous forever, but they have great athletes and they they find a way to make big plays. But they control the clock. Oh yeah, they control the game. And then they just say, "All right, big boys, five stars, go get some stops." And guess what? Here's the thing, Josh. Like, Bilma's stuff worked at Wisconsin. It's not working at Arkansas when everybody said, oh, that style works in the SEC. That's true. That, I mean, and it really – now, I think part of it is he's he's so outclassed personnel-wise. At Wisconsin, I think they always do – their offensive lines are always so good. And at Alabama, he'll – or excuse me, at Arkansas, he'll have a good guy or two. Like, right now, he's got the Ragnow kid that's probably the best center in the country. Um, and, you know, and he'll have guys like that. But not all the way across the five do we have, you know, a couple of first-rounders and a couple of good, you know, kind of journeyman NFL guys. He, and he can't – you're not – like I said, and that's kind of why I think it's interesting. Why do you try to beat Alabama at their game? They are always going to have the best personnel to play your style of football. Do something different. Yeah. Well, but you know what? Just like with Mike, where he seems to kind of go into a shell – about playing people off the line of scrimmage, you know, letting the letting an offense kind of dictate things. Like you see that with with Lincoln Riley a time or two where he forgets to kind of run the ball. Sure. And just gets into okay, let Baker throw it down the field 60 yards three times in a row. So I mean every coach kind of has that I mean this is human nature. Oh yeah, I think we all have our I mean like whether it's football coaching or anything, we all have our crutches, our safe spots we fall back into. Lincoln Riley at his heart would probably love to throw it 60 times a game, but he's smart enough to know that A he doesn't need to and B that's not the best way to win. So I I I agree completely. I mean every coach has their okay, I, this is what's like Manny Diaz could know that blitzing is an awful decision. And every once in a while, Manny Diaz is still going to blitz. Like, he, he just can't <laughs> help still gonna, himself. got to scratch that itch. Exactly. I mean, and so, I mean. He's going to go zero blitz every once in a while. Exactly. Like, you're going to go. Like, when you're not sure of something, you're going to go with what you're comfortable with. And Mike's comfortable, like you said, kind of letting it come to him. His defense, we're going to keep it in front of us. We're not going to allow the big play. That's where Manny Diaz may go zero blitz. So, you know, it's just that that's the way those two guys operate. And they're just a good example of how different you can be. And for all the people that want to hate Mike, Mike's a good football coach. Like, he's just in a really tough situation because he plays, he coaches in the Big 12. He coaches in a league that nobody succeeds in defensively. Yeah. And nobody, like, and it's just one of those things where, no, and even when he does succeed, nobody wants to give him any credit. Hell, I've probably been too hard on him in this podcast. Well, but I mean, it's just. You, did you see where Glenn Spencer blew up at somebody after the Baylor game? 
because no. they insinuated uh, that OSU did what they were supposed to do. And he was like, so we don't get any credit for when our defense does something like this to another team just because They're it's Baylor. To. Yeah. Like, he's he, he can kind of crack a little bit, too. And he's been under pressure. I mean, OSU fans, as a whole, are not happy with Glenn Spencer. Yeah, we were talking about him in the preseason maybe getting fired. I mean, not in the preseason he was going to get fired, but maybe at the end of the year. Yeah. <laughs> These defense coordinators have to have, like, a text group that they just shit on everybody that talks <laughs> on them. Do you think there's, like, a therapy line, like, they all call, like, defensive coordinators of the Big 12 where they can talk about their problems? Yeah, and Bo Pelini's the administrator. <laughs> He's the one that patches you through. Yeah. <laughs> While he's petting his little cat. Yeah. <laughs> so I look, I you're right, Josh. I mean, it's there's been so much knee jerk throughout this season so far. I don't want to make it out like, oh, it's all fixed. But I'm just saying you're gonna make your life miserable if you keep trying to fix everything week to week with defense in the Big Twelve. Yeah, and, and but like I said, I, I think that they do have a starting point, and it's going to be interesting. I'm I'm back interested, I guess, a little bit in how they go about it moving forward because I do think that, uh, you know, it, it, Carrie, it was something that was talked about a lot yesterday at post practice was the fact that I think for the first time in a while they feel like they have a defensive line unit that can really cause some problems, and especially when and you see, look I'll at, be will I'll be let's see on that too. Yeah, because it yeah. was Texas's no, offensive Texas line. Texas is awful. Their offensive line is terrible. By the way, I I would I'm really considering making Oklahoma State my lock of the week just because the Big Twelve Conference has got to be telling their referees you have to even though Texas sucks and holds on every play you have to call these these holds. <laughs> you can't just let a team hold the entire game because they're not good enough. I feel like Texas has done that for 15 years though. But I mean, Oklahoma State should get. About twelve holding penalties in that game. What what is the line on that one? Seven and a half. Still? Is it still Ooh. seven? I and haven't half? looked since we started this podcast. I, I mean I assume that well, it I is. I kinda like Oklahoma State on that one. Yeah. Although and it was two years ago Oklahoma State got or the Texas feels like they got screwed because Charlie Strong got a the, the, the ref phantom, bumped into yeah. him and he called him for a fifteen yard penalty. I will say I, I I don't think that I would be surprised if Texas won the game, but it just seems like it's one of those spots that everybody looks at it and says, "Oh, Oklahoma State's going to cover," and then all of a sudden, Texas By the way, keeps it close somehow. They force a couple turnovers, get pressure on Mason Rudolph. Josh, what did you think about the Ellinger thing coming back into the game after it appeared he got knocked out? <laughs> I thought you know it was one of those things like and I have I'll be I'll be fully honest I saw you guys talking about it and so I kind of went back and watched a little bit I don't know how there's any way if you thought he was even borderline concussed like if it, like okay we think there's a possibility he has a concussion there's no way you cleared him in that time there's no way did like Tom Herman hire like his sister's uncle or something i guess it would be his uncle i just don't understand how to be their doctor how a doctor could if he really was knocked out like say okay yeah he's fine yeah he, i just i don't i don't know i i guess maybe i have too much faith in in I, humanity I can't that remember they the would last, let somebody do that i can't remember the last time i've seen that happen because if you could prove it that he really was knocked out and they came out that 
they'd let I him mean, back in. He literally Those doctors would get their license stripped, wouldn't they? He literally didn't move a muscle for 30 seconds. I And my response to that would have just been, I figured they were just telling him, you know, don't move. But I guess... But they were like poking him in the chest. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I really couldn't tell. I, I don't think you could tell from the TV broadcast that he he was knocked out. But then again, maybe I'm just like being Like D.B. Westbrook, when he got knocked out and his arms did that thing, mm-hmm. like he he didn't he wasn't coming back. And you knew I mean you knew Trevor Knight was knocked out in 2014. Well, he against was paralyzed. Baylor. Well, that's true. But still, it, it just I guess it was a little bit like that in a way. I mean, he wasn't paralyzed. I couldn't believe it when he came back in because I saw I was in the end zone. I saw his head hit the ground, and I I was sitting next to Bill Haston, and I was like, "Oh, he's out." And then Haston was like, "Well, he's done for the day." Like, never even thought about him coming back. Him in. coming back in. It was it was weird, and I guess maybe it does offer a little bit of pause knowing Tom Herman's history and just. My, in my opinion, just not giving a shit about that any of his of players' health. That son of a bitch will do anything, won't he? Yeah. I, I mean, it, it's not a good look by any means. The problem with that is, though, like, and don't get me wrong, I, I understand that he, I'm sure he was responsible for hiring or at least had a say in Team this doctors. is going to be our medical staff, that sort of thing. But if those me- that medical staff sends him to Tom Herman, Tom Herman's out of the wall, out of the dark. That that's got nothing to do with him. Yeah, he shouldn't have anything to to no. do with. I mean, like with with OU, it's always been told to us like once that happens, he's in the concussion protocol, and the coaching staff has no say. That's exactly. I, right. I can tell you right now, though, if that exact same thing would happen to Baker Mayfield, no way he comes back in the game. No, he's done. I agree. They, I mean, they they take his helmet away. No chance he comes back in that game. Because Scott Anderson is like one of the leading concussion, you know, college trainers, doctors, whatever yeah. in the country. Yeah. Like he sits on boards and stuff. Like yeah. they invent shit to to help with concussions <laughs> or to test concussions. They take that stuff very seriously yeah. in Norman. They're not messing around. And not to say they don't in Austin, but it, it I doesn't mean, appear it was, like they do. Yeah, that's true. Because, guys, they blew up that tent. I mean, Tiffany was watching the game with me and she's like, what is that thing? And I was like, it's it's the thing that they put up to cover, you know, the so that the medical staff can work without being seen. Which that's the bullshit thing because like if he's getting a concussion test in the wide open, you know, bench area, people are like they're checking for a concussion. Yep. Like how yep. how in the world? That's so shady. You know what? What's that's even so more? Shady. What's even more kind of scary about that is is I read today that. He was back practicing on Sunday because I guess Texas practices on Sunday. Because you have to take one day off, so they take like I think they take Monday Mondays. off. Mondays, and they do what Oklahoma State has done for the last couple of years. I don't think they do that anymore, though. They used to practice on Sundays, though. Now Sunday evenings, it's weird. It was that was very weird, and it just wasn't. It was just kind of glossed over. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, I went back to watch it so I could kind of get in the conversation with you a little more clearly. Did you guys see? Have you? I, you know, I know Eddie. You said you kind of watched it. I know Carrie. You usually go back and watch. Have you seen Shane Bouchelle's face on that first snap? No. He looks scared out of his mind. Like his eye. Like it looks like a dude. And I think even you know, um, Bomani Jones was talking about it on Twitter. He goes, "That does not look like the face that makes me feel good about this team scoring a touchdown." <laughs> like, I think I remember Bomani Jones's t- tweet. <laughs> 
he he looked I mean he does. He looked shaken for sure. <laughs> All right. Uh I wouldn't want to have come in that game after you saw what was happening to Elinger. Yeah. Eddie, is this gonna be your new Seabert? Elinger. Elinger? What is Ellinger. it? Ellinger. 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 No, I imagine I'll get that because he's probably going to kick somebody's ass at some point, and I'm going to have to learn I'm going to say uh, like you, and, you, and, you and Austin Seibert seem to have a nice little rapport this week. Yeah, I like him. He's a good guy. I, I was going to ask, where's that relationship at, Eddie? That was a that was MVP stuff from him on Saturday. It was, that was a very good performance. He got absolutely screwed by the conference. He just needs a 45-yard field goal now. Who won it? I didn't even see. I just it was some guy from Iowa State that down two. The Big Twelve statement put they put out. It said he downed two balls inside the five yard line. A gunner, a gunner, and I guess he 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 returned. By the way, Texas eighty five yards. Texas's punter was the Ray Guy National Player of the Week. He is pretty good though. I mean, he had like he had like five over fifty. I'm just saying, you gave it to a guy that downed two punts over a guy that was the Ray Guy National Punter of the Week. They, and another guy that had seven touchbacks, three for three on field goals, and had two ridiculously good punts. Really sad. Just another fumble by the conference, but so you, I'm so numb to that now these days. It doesn't even bother me. Uh, Eddie, as our resident golfer, could you have dropped a golf ball inside the five as as Cybert uh, did on that one? Uh, it probably depends on how much I've been drinking that day. <laughs> The more, the if better it was the chance. First hole or the, or the no, 15. the more, the more, the better of the chance. Oh, okay. If so I have to think about it, I'm odds. screwing up. How, I don't take pressure. Very by the way, well. what were your thoughts on uh, Jordan Spieth and Brad Dalkey being at the coin flip? That was awesome. I actually do you think Jordan Spieth was kind of pissed off. He's like, "This is the best you can do. Give me a college kid." Uh, uh but then Dalkey flashed Dalkey, the horns down when they won the toss, right? Yeah, it was the first uh, coin toss OU had won yeah. too this year. Uh, that was. I don't know. I, I thought it was kind of weird. I thought it was interesting that they picked Dalkey, but then again, he's probably uh, the most accomplished out of anybody right now with ties to Oklahoma. And I mean, they probably could have gotten Anthony Kim, but <laughs> I imagine he, showing up drunk. Yeah, two thirty in the afternoon. I imagine it's probably a pretty. That's a pretty easy time. Probably would have been giving people chips for Windstar. <laughs> How you doing? Thanks. How you doing? Thanks. There, there's no way Thanks that goes bad. Anthony Kim, come down for OU Texas weekend. And, well, he already uh, lives down in Dallas. I, think. <laughs> I have heard that he's doing better though. Good. Last time I saw him though, he was it was uh, on a Sunday, and it was a a nice little brunch party. Eddie, is there a golfer you know it better than me that has ruined his career in a more shockingly fast and uh, decisive fashion? Oh. I'm sure there are. I mean, I guess John Daly would be the first one to come to mind. Yeah, yeah. But he at least but won at least a major. He won a couple yeah. majors. Yeah. And Kim looked like he was on that path, right? Yeah. I mean, he was going to be a big-time guy. Yeah, the guy shot 29 on the front at Augusta. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we've got some It was new... cool, though. I, I walked by Jordan Spieth, though, uh-huh. and I like I walked literally from me to you past him, and it was I definitely fanboyed for a minute. I was like, Wow, that's Jordan Spieth. <laughs> that is that is Jordan Spieth right there in front of me. Was he head to toe Under Armour? Uh, I think he had a a white Under Armour shirt on, Did but it? nothing too bad. I thought about going back and taking a picture with him, but like asking to. him for, for uh, a no, it was going to be more of a selfie with him in the background. Okay. And then I would have said we were taking a picture together. <laughs> uh, okay, so we got we got uh, new uh, updated TJ Pledger video. 
on the site, uh, IMG updated. Uh, Josh, uh, I know everybody's going to say, oh, you're throwing in recruiting at the end again. Uh, but uh, let's let's talk about the latest going on in the recruiting show. I know Texas Tech continues to look like a monster weekend for the Sooners, uh, but on the road at, in Manhattan this weekend, uh, and then back for Tech, right? Is that the yeah? And people, you know, like guys, this is not unlike when we when we're doing the pod right now. This is a lot like where OU is with recruiting. Don't get me wrong; they're they're paying attention to it and they're doing the stuff they are doing. But it's not like the middle of May where recruiting is. 95% of what's going on in their world. Like there is only so much football or so much recruiting they can do when they're trying to get a team ready, especially with this crazy stretch of games OU is now in. I mean, they're, they're really, the next month is going to tell you a lot about where OU is. So they're, they're focused on stuff this week. Like you said, going to Kansas state. So you're not hosting anybody uh, next weekend. I think it's going to really, the, the seven o'clock kickoff is huge for Oklahoma they're going to be able to bring in guys from any part of the country, any elite guys that want to come, they can bring in. Um, the The biggest one that we've already con- confirmed uh, with help from our guy Chad Simmons from the Southeast, who is, for people that don't follow him on Twitter, Chad is a as good as you'll find yeah, in the Southeast. Time. He knows everything. Uh, Chad um, has confirmed with Jaden Hazelwood, the number four player in the 2019 class, and yes, that's four overall uh, and number one wide receiver he is going to come in for a visit uh, for the Texas Tech weekend with his dad. Uh, his dad is from Chickasha. No. Grew up, uh, grew up a big OU fan. It's a chick. Um, and apparently has handed it off to Jaden. Uh, Jaden, you know, Eddie and I saw him at the five-star uh, in, in Indianapolis. He is elite of elite. He is committed to Georgia. But like I said, he has some connections to Oklahoma. I it certainly wouldn't hurt Oklahoma if Georgia stopped playing like they're playing right now. Um, you know, it's kind of a tough time for Georgia to suddenly finally get it together. But he's going to come in. He'll be there. Uh, some other elite guys. Grayson Boomer has told me he'll be there. Kenyon Green, a big offensive lineman from uh, North Houston that is uh, committed to LSU, he'll be there. So, and, and don't get me wrong, this is just a tip of the iceberg. I, I would expect Oklahoma to have probably at least 20 to 25 four-star or better guys on campus next weekend. It's going to be a big, big deal. We'll talk a lot about it a lot next week's pod. But unlike the Iowa State kick when OU was planning to bring a bunch of guys in and it was an 11 o'clock kick and it made it tough to bring in guys from Florida and California and some of the farther flights that could happen, this is perfect. So OU is going to have a lot of guys there. Wouldn't shock me at all if a guy like Nicholas Benito from St. Thomas Aquinas comes in. Uh, really, really talented edge rusher. Uh, from you know, for those that don't know, Aquinas is one of the best programs in the country. Yeah. So th- there are there a, the next week as we start really tracking things down. And I try not to do it too early because you end up confirming guys that oh my ride fell through or all this, so your list ends up not matching up, and you have to check with guys multiple times. So I kind of try to wait till week of before I get real serious about it, but. It's going to be a huge visit weekend. OU will have a bunch of guys. And then in a couple weeks after that, TCU may be even bigger, and West Virginia could close off the deal. So Oklahoma, it looked like they weren't going to have a lot of great visit weekends, but it's turning out very, very differently so far. Uh, Josh, were you a little surprised, like, the just the – and I guess there was it was because there was other circumstances going into the game, but I was kind of surprised that the recruiting aspect of Lincoln Riley getting a – a win over Tom Herman wasn't 
I, I guess to me wasn't played up as much as I thought it was going to be like seven months ago when the when Riley took over and it really started kind of getting heated up on, I guess, social media more so than anything. I, I kind of was too, Eddie. I, I'm a little surprised that there hasn't been more. What I will say I thought was interesting is a lot of the feedback I got, um, and uh, we should touch on this a little bit more. I guess I'll just kind of dive into it. Was Trey Brown, you know, tweeted out after the game, you know, a oh, great win, Oklahoma, and he shot a picture of him and his mom during his OU official. And there is a lot of buzz that Oklahoma is really moving in the right direction with him. So I, it sounds, I've heard A&M for a long time. Suddenly that talk is kind of fizzling a little bit. I, I don't want to say they're out, but there's even some rumors he may not take his official visit down there. And with him, you know, set to decide in about two weeks, there is it seems to be moving very positively he's going to go to Alabama this weekend and then we'll kind of know a lot more uh, about what is going on but I think Oklahoma's in a good spot with him and but I to kind of get back to the heart of your question Eddie I I didn't see you know I talked to some guys afterward and it was very you know I, I think it, it kind of came out in the wash for them because mm-hmm. you had Oklahoma pretty much doing what I think most people expected them to do is go win that game, especially recruits. I mean, you know, they, they think Oklahoma's really good. They're not thinking as much about the Iowa State game as the three of us or OU fans or anything like that. So they just think OU's better. They should go win. But at the same time, Texas represented themselves pretty well, showed maybe that they've got their quarterback situation figured out for the first time in, you know, seven years. So it, it, I think it kind of came out as kind of no, no blood, you know, just – Nobody really won that from a recruiting perspective, but I do think if Texas wins that game, it's it really, really hurts Oklahoma. So I think more than anything, Oklahoma held serve, did what they're supposed to do. Now, if you go run the table and get to the playoff, well, then you've really got something where you can kind of pound on Texas and say, you know, hey, great, they went 7-5 and five or 8-4 and four or wherever Texas may end up. Mm-hmm. We went to the friggin' playoff. Yeah. Well, <laughs> It's heating up. The next four weeks, I think, uh, I guess month, really, three weeks, will kind of tell the tale of the tape. I'm curious on the – I mean, you mentioned Ellinger. Um, it, it, it took somebody else to kind of point out the whole Urban Meyer connection thing, but, I mean, and I'm not making any comparison. He's a better thrower, but as a runner, you know, Tim Tebow. Like, But that's that's where that offense to me is headed now. It's the Urban Meyer – Florida 2008 offense uh with Texas yeah if they try that he's that will get Ellinger killed I I I truly you can't run him like that (laughs) Ellinger Ellinger uh (laughs) dude did you not notice how thick that kid is he is but he's not he has tree trunks for legs I guarantee well he's not Tebow was built like a tight end. Yeah, I mean, I mean you just—I don't think you. And can I think do Tebow that. was six four, wasn't he? Legit. Yeah, Tebow was a bigger guy than I think a lot of people realized, or that he was—he was a linebacker tight end playing quarterback. He was. But I'm he just was saying, a, Ellinger is a freshman. Yeah, and like from the waist down, he looks like he has—he's walking on telephone poles. He—he he is a bigger kid than I originally was thinking like when when up close to him when Bouchelle came back in the game he looked like a midget yeah to continue two podcast thoughts that I think are interesting 
So, Kerry, I think you're right. They're clearly moving in that direction. They're going to move that Meyer-type offense and do those things. And do you remember what Mike Stoops talked about in the postgame against Ohio State? How much better they wanted Ohio State to think they were running that four-man front because how much better he felt a three-man front did against that offense. Yeah. Well, what we were just talking about where you're you're looking at who you're going to compete against is going to dictate what you're doing offensively and defensively. Well, Oklahoma knows who their primary competition is if Texas is playing to the level they can play at. It's Texas. Yeah. So are they going to stick with a three-man just because, you know, this is the most talented team we're going to face every year. We've got to run this to make sure we can deal with them in the best way possible. The other question I have after that game is, what are the chances that Cameron Rising just stays out west now? I saw a little bit of chatter about that on the board uh, the other day, and I I hadn't thought about it, but it makes a lot of sense. If if he's going to be their guy, there's no real I I wouldn't go there if if after I saw it makes him more play. sense for Casey Thompson to go there now than yeah. it does Cameron Rising, right? Yeah, but you guys talk about a dude that can't play like Tim Tebow, and I love Casey. Yeah. Casey's a good player. I mean, he, but Casey's little. Casey will get beat up playing like that. Is he missed most of the season? This might sound really bad, but I have not seen anything about Newcastle. I thought he got hurt. He did, and then he came back in. Um, and I they think started he actually playing played better once they well. got into district. They played a really tough, like they played Tuttle. They played, yeah. you know, like Newcastle always does. They played a tough non-district, and then I think they kind of got it going in district. But I, I, I mean, I'd have to pull it up to be sure. But it, it's. It definitely hasn't gone the way everybody kind of thought it would, where Newcastle was going to go from 0-10 to a, a state title contender. Right. But Ellinger didn't get knocked out because he got hit hard. He got knocked out because his head got slammed into the turf. Yeah, it wasn't a dirty hit or anything at all. He just just Kenneth Murray chased him down, yeah. grabbed him by the waist, and his body kind of slumbered down, and his head was the last thing to fall. It, it will be interesting to see what happens with Rising, though. I, I I do think that's a very interesting point. And, it's interesting, and because, no way he ends oh, up back at Oklahoma, though, Josh. I think that's what all my friends were always asking. I was like, I don't think no. there's a chance. No, I I I don't know. Even if OU didn't have Mordecai, I don't know that they'd take him back. Yeah. Like from the feelings, I I mean, there were some people that were sore about that. What I will say is interesting is the rumor has been Oregon for a while that maybe he was going to get to looking at them. And it's funny because Oregon's starting to stumble. They've lost two straight, lost to Washington State, lost to Stanford bad last weekend. So it kind of – it's one of those weird things because it looked like Oregon had their quarterback who played okay last year for Oregon and was returning, seemed to fit Willie Taggart's system pretty well. And now with them starting to sputter, maybe they don't have their quarterback and Texas does have their quarterback. So the roles have kind of reversed and maybe he jumps on board with, with Oregon. I think it would just it would make everyone, every Sooner fan, feel better if he if just he stayed just, out west. If he went, Texas, yeah, just just screwed Texas too. Well, you know me, I anything that will contribute to the downfall of Tom Herman, not just as a coach but a person, I'm all there for. You think that gum is nicotine gum? <laughs> he chomps on it so <laughs> hard. I think it's got glass in it or something. Like, uh, there's no way you need to chew that extremely. It was I gave Lainey I don't her first gum, and she didn't chew that hard. <laughs> I mean, maybe that nicotine gum gets really hard, so you have to chomp on it. Ugh. I don't know. 
Yeah, it's a pass. All right. Well, uh, that is our, you know, we had the Drunken Podcast. We had a preview podcast. This was like the state of the state of the state. Yeah, podcast. I mean, this is going through the Big Twelve and the problems and the offenses and the quarterbacks and does it does it tell you anything about what we think about what's going to happen in Manhattan? Yeah, there's no need to really talk that much about K State. I mean, I I told you on Monday at the presser, I I think Kansas State is is behind the times and without Jesse Ertz, even though it's a, I think everybody will scream, but look what happened at Iowa State. I, it's just a different animal. There will be kids that go to that game with their parents that are in high school that have never seen Kansas State beat Oklahoma in that stadium. Uh, I've never gone up there and covered There the may be freshmen that have never enrolled at Kansas State that have never seen the Wildcats beat the Sooners in that stadium. With the way K-State's having to run their offense right now, like it's just tailor-made for OU to have a good day. Because yeah, Ertz, Ertz is not even the passing passer that Ellinger is. Well, that's the thing. And it's like everybody's like, "Oh, is Ertz gonna play? Is Ertz gonna play?" Ertz isn't that good. Well, like hey, even I, if he starts, he's better than some of the when they had the receiver playing quarterback a few years ago. Everyone, everyone overrated Kansas State before the season. Guilty, well, super it's guilty. Just, it's just. Kansas, Kansas State, State is, is such they an are what they are. But they bring in guys that you've never heard of before who end up being really good players. Right. And you just kind of you have some faith that Bill Snyder's going to put together. He's going to have one of those years. Like, no one expects K-State to win the Big 12 in, what, 2012 or yeah. whatever? And they did. Well, but I will say this. And <laughs> even with all that said, there's one game a year Kansas State finally puts it together. It always seems like like every year under Bill Snyder, there's one game, and I don't think it'll weekend? be. I don't think it will be Saturday, but oh, you better show up with the the team that they showed up in Dallas, and not the one that played Iowa State, or they will get beat. You get beat by anybody if you play like you did against Iowa State. Yeah, just tackle, play hard on defense. I mean, this is going to be interesting because I will say this: Kansas State doesn't have a terrible offensive line, so we should learn a lot more about Lampkin and. Of course, they're not going to need to play Kenneth Mann. I think Abdul Adams will play this week. I'm I'm right there with you. How much he changes that offense more than I realized. He just because he a, gives you somebody that can make a big play in the run yep. game besides Trey Sermon. Like when yep. you when you take Trey Sermon off the field, everybody knows that your offense is going to basically be generated through Baker Mayfield. Rodney Anderson had a few decent moments, but for the most part, I agree with what you're saying. He, I, he played better than I thought he could against Texas. So, I mean, but I mean, yeah, it's it's I you can tell they feel a lot more comfortable as an offense. And the thing I wrote about it this week, I mean, Marcellia Sutton thing to me seems painfully obvious that he he's not very good as a blocker and they don't trust him in there. Eddie is checking his cell phone. Did you even hear what I said? No. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> people, I people keep just texting me saying that Josh has some burner account. It's driving me insane. Should, should we let the cat out of the bag on that, Eddie? No, I, I just think it's funny that everybody thought that A that's you. A burner Twitter account? No, no on the board, on. JH put... <laughs> 
the hot 11 up so i just pinned it uh, instead of deleting it and putting the exact same thing up and then i put it i put josh M in the in the headline yeah and so everybody thinks it's josh unless jh was you know also at my baby appointment yesterday i don't think it was me <laughs> I, I hate i hate to I, i've had a lot of fun pretending that jh is me and i am jh but that's that's just not the case but I will say, and I'll just, there have been times in the past that maybe Josh has had a burner account. We're just, we're just going to throw that hmm. out there. It's been out there before. Hmm. So, I you know. I may know something about that. But it's 100% oh! not, it's not JH, though. It is 100% not JH, who is a really good longtime poster. I'm, con- <laughs> I, I'm a little torn if people are just having fun with this or they actually believe it. And if they actually believe it, I feel a little bad for J.H. He's been here a long time. He's been a good poster. I'm kind of, I'm a little ashamed. I don't, I, I, I don't have a burner account. I have like seven different Twitter accounts all related to Sooner Scoop, but I don't have a burner account. Yeah. Yes, I have to be really, guys, if people that follow us on Twitter and listen to the pod and see a random story pop up on like the Scoop, uh, the Crimson Corner uh, account that that's that's me screwing that up. Sometimes I do not pick the right account to post from. We have a lot of options. All right, well that's going to do it for this option, the podcast. Uh, if you guys are not subscribing to SoonerScoop.com and have no idea what we're talking about with the Hot Eleven thread, uh, join us. Have fun. Join us. Uh, come be a part of SoonerScoop.com. We always appreciate that as well. Uh, but appreciate you guys listening. Uh, get those ratings and reviews. And we had a couple of new ones. They were just way too nice. Like salt of the earth people just telling us how much they enjoy the program. We do appreciate it. Uh, but maybe we'll let some degenerates, uh, find their ways to the ratings and reviews so we can get that going again next week. So iTunes rating and reviews. Don't forget we're on Stitcher. We're on Google play. We're on tune in. We're obviously on iTunes. Uh, SoundCloud, any of those options, uh, you can pick up the unofficial 40. But for Josh McQuistian back in his home studio, for Eddie Radosevich in our studio, I'm Kerry Murdoch, and we'll see you next time right back here on the unofficial 40 on Soonerscoop.com. Podcasts from Soonerscoop.com.